Election College, episode 116, the Declaration of Independence. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Well, I saw it recently, and every one of us feel the ramifications of it. We're talking about the Declaration of Independence today, Ben. Yeah, and we've been talking so much about John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and really early America that, hey, why not? Why not talk about the thing that started it all, even though you know it didn't, but uh, the Declaration. And Jason, you saw like a reproduction of the Declaration, one that was made a couple years later. What are you talking uh, about? It's a spoiler alert, I know, but... No. Yep. <sighs> Sorry to spoil your fun. Yeah, I was having so much fun with that. So <laughs> it's kind of interesting, though, with the whole Declaration of Independence, because we've been waxing political lately with the whole John Adams, Thomas Jefferson relationship and how the two seem to have gotten along really well. And then they didn't. And then they did again. And until the very end, they respected one another. They had a lot of differences in their ideologies politically, but when it comes to the Declaration of Independence, my goodness, they are, well, very good friends. Yeah, they're unified completely. Um, unlike the entire country, or I guess the entire colonies at the time, and even the group of people who brought it together, um, they were they were very unified between Adams and Jefferson. And then Jefferson goes on later to, um, he and his friends use it to say, hey, Thomas Jefferson wrote this and you guys like it. So therefore, Thomas Jefferson's a good guy. But I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, just a little bit. Maybe. So let's transport ourselves back into the year 1775. How about that? Sound like a good year? That works for me. Yeah. We talk a lot about 1776, but there is a really awesome thing that Thomas Jefferson said that, well, makes you wonder, is the United States actually going to separate from Great Britain? And TJ said, believe me, dear sir, there is not in the British Empire a man who more cordially loves a union with Great Britain than I do. But by the God that made me, I will cease to exist before I yield a connection or to a connection on such terms as the British Parliament purpose. And in this, I think I speak to the sentiments of America. So in other words, hey, Great Britain, I'm one of you and I love you. But guess what? Parliament, I can't stand you. You've usurped your authority and that's wrong. Yeah. And so by the time that the Declaration of Independence actually gets um, comes about, between the time Thomas Jefferson said that and the time the Declaration is signed, the uh, colonies had actually been at war with Great Britain for over a year. And so, you know, this can not only take place um, in, by being a formal declaration or by enough um, – enough of a rebuttal that it's considered war or, hey, people shooting at each other. But at any rate, they'd been at war for more than a year. And so 
really you have two countries who have hated each other for like 15 years or I guess they're not two countries yet, but we're getting there. You have like these estranged family members who have hated <laughs> each other for like uh, 15 years. And one of them finally says, and this is parliament, says, um, we're going to do all this stuff that you don't like in order to milk more money out of you. And the colonies are like, no, we don't have representation. We're not doing it. We're out of here. So you have this dilemma where, and I don't know if dilemma is the right word, Ben, because the colonies are appealing to the king because parliament's being crazy, right? Sure. And the king is like, well, I don't care about you, colonies. I'm just the king. And parliament's saying, hey, we are more important than the king, what he says, because we're parliament. And meanwhile, the colonists are like, Parliament, you have no authority over us. So we've talked about that before. Yeah, absolutely. So after the Coercive Acts come around in 1774, uh, remember the whole Boston Tea Party in Massachusetts, uh, the Parliament's like, we didn't like that very much, guys, so we're going to punish you. Uh, Most of the colonists, or at least many of the colonists, see Great Britain or Britain, as it may be, as being a bully, essentially. And they get the first Continental Congress together in September of 1774 to come up with something to say. So it's like they got all their friends together to push back against the bully, I guess you could say. And they actually said, we're not buying any more British goods. We're going to ask the king real nicely to repeal these measures that he's taken. And uh, in the meantime, we're going to set up another meeting for the future. Yeah. And we've talked about it extensively. King's like, not going to do anything for the colonists. Parliament's not going to do anything for the colonists. They have their second meeting in 1776. And just things get, they go from horrible to really, really nasty and bad. So it's springtime. So a lot of the colonists are still hoping that there could be some reconciliation. Again, we've talked about that. It didn't happen. It wasn't going to happen. Everybody knew it wasn't going to happen. So John Adams, who is, of course, a really strong proponent of being independent from Great Britain and that Parliament has really screwed up on this one, says that this, uh, this act, this prohibitory act, is an act of independency. And essentially, there can be no more standing for the fact that we are a British territory. So let's get out of this joint. And everybody's like, yeah, that's great. This is a great idea. Congress, can you do anything about it? And Congress is like, we actually don't know. (laughs) I wonder if that's the problem today. (laughs) We don't (laughs) really know. Yeah, I think think you probably hit the nail on the head. Yeah. But... Keep in mind, it's 1776, and there is a situation where authority – who has authority here? You've got this Continental Congress. You have these independent colonies, which we're – let's just call them states from this point forward. Sure. You have each state appointing different legislatures, and uh, it's just a mixed bag of levels of authority, and – You have states that don't agree with each other. You have South Carolina, North Carolina. They're like, let's get out of London. (laughs) I was going to say Dodge, get it? Yeah, I get it. So they're like, yeah, we're done. See ya, Great Britain. Hey, King, 
you don't have any authority over us. We're not going to obey you. We're out of here. And then you have states like Pennsylvania and Delaware, and they're like, mm, I, I, well, I don't know, guys. What do you think? Uh, hmm, who should handle this? <laughs> and there are actually a lot of people who have different opinions on things, but nobody's allowed to vote to declare independence unless their state says, go ahead and vote. And a couple colonies went a little further than that. They didn't just not give them permission. They actually prohibited them from taking any steps towards separating from Great Britain. So some states are like, we don't care. Some states don't even know what's going on. Other states are like, absolutely not. But people are coming around to the idea. And in order for the the Congress to declare independence, you've got to have a majority of, well, everybody, I guess you could say, a majority of everybody and to be able to vote for independence. And we go through like two or three months of back and forth, back and forth about, are we allowed to vote? Yes, go ahead. Are we allowed to vote? No, please don't. Until everybody gets on the same page. Yeah. Hey, Ben, when in doubt, overthrow the government. Right. I mean, that's that's a tale as old as time, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. So thanks for the Beauty and the Beast reference. <laughs> now I got that song in my head. Anyway, so you got all kinds of stuff going on, right? You've got southern states, you got northern states, you got mid-Atlantic states, and they all have different opinions of what an independent country might look like. You've got varying degrees of, hey, this is what our relationship with Great Britain should look like. It, it's pretty nuts. And you've got a situation going on with slavery, where even back this far, northern states were much more willing to say this is disgraceful and southern states saying, hey, this is a vital part of our economy. But you have, in June of 1776, a committee of five. And Congress appointed this committee. And our team members are John Adams from Massachusetts, Ben Franklin, of course, from Pennsylvania, Thomas Jefferson of Virginia, Robert R. Livingston of New York, and last and definitely not least, Roger Sherman from Connecticut. Yeah, and uh, you probably know most of those names, but just in case you need a little reminder, Robert Livingston, he's the guy who went over to France and negotiated the uh, sale of the Louisiana Territory, which was a pretty big deal, in case you'd forgotten about that. And uh, Robert Sh Roger Sherman was actually a senator from Connecticut. And I don't know how much we've talked of him, but um, obviously a very important man in our history. Yeah, he actually did a lot of the negotiation and got a lot of things done, reaching across the proverbial aisle, if you want to call it an aisle back then. <laughs> the and, aisle that didn't exist yet. Yeah, and, and got things done. So go Roger Sherman. And if you're from Connecticut, I'm sure you know all about him. And... Ben, it might be good for us to do an episode on him someday. I don't think that'd be a bad idea. Hey, so there's accounts written years later, but there's nothing actually written down during the drafting process. So uh, Jefferson and Adams, are, you know, they, they write some stuff down about how everything went, but we're not entirely sure how reliable they are because they contradict each other. Always a problem when two people who are supposedly in the same room contradict each other. 
whatever happened. Yeah. Uh, it, it's definitely the case that they all get together in a room. Everybody thinks Adams should do it. Adams is like, guys, 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 I got things to do. How about Jefferson <laughs> instead? <laughs> and Jefferson's like, well, I'm in, I'm in Congress, so there's that. And uh, we're busy, and we've only got a little bit of time here, but okay, that's fine. I'll take the first draft. Yeah, so he goes and, well, writes the Declaration of Independence, but (laughs) he presents it to Congress, and Congress is like, hey, thanks, TJ. Um, Let's just put this down for a couple of days, and uh, a couple of days transpire, and Congress says, hmm brings out the red pen and starts editing the document. They're like, okay, TJ, you've put some words in there that mm, they probably don't need to be there. And you know what? Your sentence structure is horrible. Uh, Let's switch this around, move that around. We have the issue with those Southern states not willing to take a strong stand on anything having to do with slavery being being anti-slavery, that is. And um, TJ's like, oh, goodness, Congress, you dummies, you (laughs) mangled my document. Yeah, Yeah, I wonder how many things they struck out that he was like, but that was my favorite part. Yeah, he's like, I spent a lot of time, I got some advice about this, and they said it would work, and you screwed me over. Yeah. But on Monday, July 1st, Congress is like, hey, everybody, let's get together. And Benjamin Harrison, he's he's like, I'm going to be the man in charge. And they do their thing. And there becomes a big debate because we need some sort of articles of confederation or some sort of guiding document. Right, Ben? Well, yes, I would normally agree with you. But John Adams would disagree with you and says, no, we got to do this now. We don't have time to waste. Yeah. So a couple of states are like, "Uh, this is not right. Um, Pennsylvania and South Carolina, they're like, nope, let's wait. And New York is like, "Uh, we need to go back home and ask for permission. (laughs) And yeah, it, it just didn't work out very well. But then... A day can change a lot, right? Sure. So on July 2nd, South Carolina's like, let's do it. We don't care. We're going to, we're, we're in. And Delaware was like, sure, sounds good. And New York waited a little bit, but they got their act together. And wouldn't you know it, by the time it was all said and done, July 2nd, woohoo, big American holiday because the United States is now independent. Yeah, everybody knows that. You got 12 votes for and one vote not cast. And July 2nd, you know, John Adams is like, hey, this is going to be the day. We're going to have a great time. Everybody, wait, wait, what? We're not like going to sign it or anything today? Seriously? Ah. (laughs) But they had already voted. So effectively, July 2nd, you know, we're an independent country. But July 4th, they change around in some wording. They take out a bunch of the text uh, that we talked about earlier with the slave trade and everything like that. And on July 4th, the Declaration of Independence, as we know it, was approved and sent off to the printer. Yeah. 
And everybody knows that something isn't official until it's put into print. So July 4th. You want to talk a little bit about the actual declaration and the different sections of it? Yeah, I would say probably most people have never read it. So we're not going to read it for you right now, but we do think that it'd be good to know what's in it. Yeah. So first of all, well, you got five parts. You got the introduction, the preamble, the indictment of King George, the denunciation of the British people, and the conclusion. And the introduction, that's the one we all had to memorize, right? I think I actually had to memorize the preamble of both the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence when I was in high school. Oh, my goodness. I know. See, I just slid through. <laughs> oh, I, did, I didn't say I was an overachiever. I just said that's all I had to memorize. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the introduction is basically saying, hey, we are connected with Great Britain, and now it's time to leave because, let's just face it, it's God's will. Sure. And hey, the preamble, um, we have this general philosophy of government. If the government's got going the way we want it to go, revolution's going to have to go. Have to be strong about it. And this is the part, probably the most, uh, one of the most well-known phrases in, in the English language we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but that's right in the preamble of the Declaration of Independence is where that line comes in. Yeah. And then, you know, you would, we've talked a lot about the Founding Fathers being passive-aggressive, but they're not passive-aggressive in the charges that come against King George. They're just aggressive. They, they are. And if anybody wants to be in a bad mood, you know what you should probably do tomorrow or today even. Skip lunch and then about an hour before you're ready to eat dinner, get real hangry, right? <laughs> you're irritable. And then read this out loud and it'll mean something. That's probably how they felt. So, but it is just a litany of he has done this, he has done that. And everything that the king has done is horrible. And yeah, it's on him. So my favorite line in the part that we typically call the indictment is as follows. He has plundered our seas, ravaged our coasts, burnt our towns, and destroyed the lives of our people. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why, but that line just like, the, I can't really... You know, get on board. I, I I can't relate to the plundered RCs part, but the the destroy the lives of our people, just like wow, they really felt strongly. Like no other possible scenario except for this has got to stop. Yeah, you wonder if that's probably etched onto his gravestone. <laughs> probably not something you want to be remembered for. Yeah. So the denunciation that basically is like, hey. British people, yeah, you're our brothers, but guess what? We need to be separate because let's just face it, yeah, there's too <laughs> much distance and you guys have totally tried to rule over us and that's not right. You know, the crazy part to me, Jason, is that there were plenty of people in England that were like all for America being separate. That just, it surprises me. I, I, I guess it yeah. shouldn't surprise me because I, I'm imagining... 
in America today, there are a couple states that most people would be like, sure, let's get rid of them. Um, but anyway, it just that's never how I was taught in history class that people in England also wanted America to be gone. But yeah. anyway, the next part is the conclusion. And of course, you know, you always have to have a conclusion to a good letter like you learned in English class. And they're just saying, look, um, these are the conditions we have. You've got to do these things or we're just ticked. Um, sorry. And then they all sign it. Yeah. And of course, you know, John Hancock, he signs it first and really big because he wanted to make sure the king saw his signature. And you can imagine, and if any of you have stood in front of the Declaration of Independence and just taken it in to think about when you sign that, you are saying, I am willing to die. I am willing to be acknowledged that I am a traitor to Great Britain. And if the Patriots had lost the Revolutionary War, you can better believe these men would have been executed straightway. Oh, absolutely. Hey, there's a an episode of a podcast, and I don't remember what podcast it is or the guy's name, but there's one signer of the Declaration of Independence that's like, his signature is really, really hard to get. But if you get it, it's worth a lot of money. That means nothing to anybody unless they also heard the episode. But um, it's a really interesting piece on that. I'd say so. Have you ever wondered, is the value of an autograph nowadays, is that diminished now because of the selfie? Like, is it better to have a selfie or is it better to have an autograph? I don't know. I mean, I don't really, I want autographs from people, but I don't understand the point of them. It's kind of weird when you think about it. It is kind of weird. Like it used to be that you take a lock of somebody's hair or right, <laughs> you know, a body part. Yeah. <laughs> but an autograph and how do you authenticate it? You know, we, we've talked about that before, how nowadays when you get an autograph from a, a sports figure or whatever, there's somebody with a computer and a hologram that authenticates the item you have just to make sure. Right, right. Anyway, if I can find that podcast, I'll throw it in the show notes. So look there. If I was successful, you'll have it. Awesome. So the legacy of the Declaration of Independence, because, I mean, think about it. Jefferson himself said, you know what? The Declaration didn't really have any original ideas, and and yet there's just something about it. I mean, what other document gives people so much authority because they are just inherently it's something that inherently we accept as americans that we have value we have worth and that we have the right to govern ourselves yeah and i think even though jefferson says there are no original ideas here the people he got the ideas from, or at least the influences on his life, were people he considered very highly, uh, such as John Locke. So he gets some of these ideas from men he highly respects, and now we highly respect the men who wrote the basically straight-up copy of the, the – who basically plagiarized to make the Declaration of Independence. But at any rate, it set forth a precedent that, of course, we cannot diminish at all. Yeah. It's pretty crazy because how many groups of people can get together? You know, let's just pick on Pennsylvania, for instance. Let's say a bunch of guys from Pennsylvania are like, hey, we don't want to be part of the United States anymore. 
we're going to get together and we're going to create this document. We're going to say, all right, we're no longer a part of the United States and our constitution is no longer valid. We're going to write up this whole new thing and we we're independent now. That wouldn't fly. No. And to think that that's kind of what happens here is you have a government who claims authority over your territory and over your people and the territory says, no, no, thank you. Imagine, imagine being the king at that point and you've got basically control over most of the world and get this one little troublesome country or these colonies that are over there and they just won't leave you alone. What do you do? Yeah. Like, do, do I even bother sending troops? Anyway, Jason, I mentioned earlier about how you didn't see the real Declaration of Independence. What? I know. Well, you probably did. But initially, when the Declaration was passed, they sent it out to a printer, John Dunlap. And he prints out like 200 copies of this thing that night. And they start sending it out to different uh, public squares and influential people. They send a copy out to George Washington, who's out in the field, of course. And he reads it to his troops, by the way, in New York City with like tens of thousands of British troops in the harbor. Oh, and, <laughs> and so he's like, maybe this will inspire everybody. And maybe they'll just like join the army. And instead, everybody's like, yeah, screw Great Britain. And they start going out and like tearing down statues of King George and everything else. So um, it had kind of the effect he was going for, but not quite. Anyway, they actually sent some copies over to Great Britain and it gets published in British newspapers and then nice. starts going the whole way around the world. And so the original copy isn't a copy. It's it's like two years later before the copy we see that was actually signed by all the individuals is actually, I guess you could say printed and and turned into history. Oh, so that's the reason they have the hologram with the guy authenticating everything now. That's right. So you don't get a fake declaration. Nice. So Ben, a lot of other countries have looked to our Declaration of Independence and have said, yes, that's awesome. <laughs> and of course, the French, you know, the French Revolution was going on. Uh, around this time, and they respected and got a lot of ideas from what was said in the Declaration. Absolutely. And, of course, we got Lafayette, who was working closely with Thomas Jefferson, who worked together and helped write the Declaration of the Rights of Man and Citizen. And then uh, later, we see it influence the Russian Empire. Yeah, the the Declaration actually had a an, an impact on the Decemberist revolt and um, was very influential there. If you look at almost any country uh, after the early 1800 who has a declaration of independence from another country, you're going to see some influence um, in the wording and also in just the spirit of the thing. The Declaration of Independence is also going to be hugely influential on the Texas Declaration of Independence in uh, the 1830s when, of course, they're very close to the situation. So they're going to have a little bit of background. It's interesting to note that the South Carolina Declaration of Secession that was written in 1860 
they mention the U.S. Declaration of Independence, but eliminate the phrase, all men are created equal. Yeah, uh, obviously. They would not have believed that. And it's interesting because many other people, in theory, did not believe that. Even many of the men who wrote and voted on the Declaration of Independence did not actually, in practice, believe that all men were created equal. But that is probably a topic for an entire another podcast episode. Also, one we've discussed many times in the past, but we could always um, talk about it more in the future. Uh, the last thing I wanted to mention is that um, Nicholas Cage, big fan of the Declaration of Independence. He tried to oh, steal yeah. it once. So you, know. you can never mention Declaration of Independence and not mention Nicholas Cage. You could also never mention it directly to him because he'll just like go crazy or something i think oh yeah 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 so i think alarms actually go off too <laughs> hey you know we have an audiobook that we would love for you to check out it is called the dueling letters and it is the letters between alexander hamilton and aaron burr before their fateful duel and uh, we would love it if you check that out it'd mean a lot to us we put a lot of work into it you can go over to electioncollege.com slash dueling letters also find the link right in the show notes any social media as well yeah and don't forget to leave us a rating and review in itunes we do certainly appreciate the reviews that have been coming in thank you and also connect with us over on facebook instagram and twitter at election college we'll see you next time This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.